a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light, light them up, boys, there's your picture, drop the shadow out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today we have some very special guests here at KPFA. We have some high school students from Maybeck High School. Um, I always think of Maybeck as this this esoteric place where learning is kept alive while the rest of the world goes mad, <laughs> like the <laughs> monasteries in the Middle Ages, you know. Uh, I have these four students with me, and they are going to perform Tom Stoppard's Arcadia this weekend. It's at the um, Oakland Box Theater. And you can call Maybeck High School. I'll give you the numbers just before we go off the air again so we don't forget. But I'll leave this at our front desk, all the information, because people always call up later and say, what was it you were talking about and where should we go to see this play? It's playing Friday and Saturday, December the 5th and 6th. Uh, Friday, it's at 7 o'clock. Saturday, it's at 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. at the Oakland Box Theater. Um, there are a bunch of phone numbers here, but I think, let's see, I can give you one. Let me give you the school office, which is 841-8489. We're in the five and dime area of code, folks, and it's 841-8489. That's Maybeck high school and the theater where this is showing is at 1928 telegraph avenue it's between 19th and 20th when i go to the box theater i just take the bart to 19th and broadway and i get off at that uh exit it's easy as can be right it's next door to sears and close to the paramount theater in downtown oakland anyway um you can also call uh, or contact John Diller at John Diller, spelled D-I-L-L-E-R, at mindspring.com. If you want to ask a lot of questions, especially uh, tonight after uh, we finish up here, you might want to ask John just how it came about that this um, uh, absolutely arcane play, <laughs> Arcadia, came to be performed at Maybeck High School. What I want to do, to make life easy, since there are four students here, I want to ask each one of them to introduce him herself and tell on the air how it is that they became involved with this play and why they think Tom Stoppard is the kind of playwright that uh, a teenage uh, actor can relate to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to point. You tell us who you are and, you know, why this is for you. Um, I'm Jen Lather, and um, Tom Stoppard, uh, he's just a witty, witty man and talks about, like, 
I don't know, sex, which is like something that all teenagers can relate to. And yeah. Carnal embrace, yes. <laughs> what is a carnal embrace? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, putting your arms around a side of beef, according to Tom Stoppard, right. Okay, what part are you playing, dear? Um, I'm playing playing Thomasina. She is the uh, the uh, girl that is uh, discovering all this um, new stuff about, like, basically just discovering calculus and exploring, like, determinism and the second law of thermodynamics. Uh-huh, yes, I think her, her, her innocence is a little forced, but, you know, <laughs> yes, yes, touch it and the bloom is gone. Okay, and next we have a guy here. We have one of the guys from the play. Your name is? Marcus Liefert. Okay, Marcus. Who do you play and why do you like Tom Stoppard? I play uh, Septimus Hodge. Um, love Septimus. Lady Thomasina's tutor. Um, and I just love Stoppard. I love all his plays because he, I really think he's the modern Shakespeare. He just is such a genius. He has great things to say in all of his plays. And this play is so complex and so deep, you learn something new every time you see it, every time you read it. There's a note here that says the play has to be seen at least three times. At least. I know I have to read it at least three times, you know. <laughs> this, stuff, this stuff does not go down easily. Uh, I'm in awe of the fact that you guys have tackled it. Okay, now, the next person that I have in my set here is Judy Pierce. I play Lady Croom. I am the mother of Thomasina and the seductress of half the men in this play. <laughs> and she's <laughs> lost her voice doing it. <laughs> and um, I, I was in the drama program last year, as were uh, the other actors that are here with me today. And I enjoy Tom Stoppard because, like, like Marcus said beforehand, it's so deep. And there, you have to pay attention so much. It's really nice in a theater where you actually are involved with the play. As the audience member. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, the whole notion of thought on stage is, <laughs> you know, I, I remember George Bernard Shaw, but that was many years ago. Now, no, Tom Stoppard is the one to help us out. Okay, our fourth actor is... Sophie Goodwin, and I am the director. Sophie Goodwin is the director, and so, of course, she has the most to say <laughs> about, you know, how to interpret Tom Stoppard. Of course. Well, what I love about Tom Stoppard is that he, like myself, he's not a mathematician, but yet he incorporates these incredible complex ideas into his plays. Um, he applies them to life and makes them fascinating, even for someone like me who is not usually interested in math. math. It's called a Renaissance woman. There was uh, a period, oh, a few years ago, when they told us, you know, that you had to be a professional. You weren't allowed to talk about things unless, you know, you had a Ph.D. in them. And uh, when I was growing up, there was something they called a public intellectual. It was the sort of person who was allowed to have an opinion about things. Uh, now, some people carried that too far. <laughs> They're called, you know, talk show hosts, and they never, you know. But, you know, the truth is that... Um, what uh, all knowledge is our province otherwise you know life is boring it's uninteresting and uh, I think that's what the theater should be someplace you know to air out your thoughts and feelings and put them together you know there's this lately there's this tendency I see all these books out called emotional intelligence what the hell else what other kind is there you know <laughs> as if you know was it 
Uh, mind-body split is what that's all about. I mean, I learned how to be a human being by being in, what, 47 productions by the time I was 20, mm-hmm. you know. Oh. You just, you do every play there is to do, and you, you know, you go around saying, if I were Queen Mab, or if I were Lady Macbeth, mm-hmm. or if I were Ophelia, how would I feel? And, mm-hmm. you know, you just try on all these hats and practice and take what you want and leave the rest behind. But, I mean, I think we could save... A fortune in psychotherapy if we could get every student, you know, to start. <laughs> I, I like to start them when they can walk. You know, you give them costumes and hats. But don't get me started on, you know, the uses of theater for civilizing and humanizing and liberating young people, you know. And it's funny because what I see now, most people just stop them, you know. They say, don't do that. Be, be yourself. Don't wear funny hats or stand on your head or pretend to be something you're not, you know. And everybody gets kind of grim and stiff and then they go to school and they become people it's dreadful uh, don't don't let me start don't let me start talking about theater i wish i i wish i had stayed in in um, the biz and been a drama teacher all my life but it's the hardest gig i know you all know this from mm-hmm. you know the condition of your teachers and this weekend you're going to be so exhausted on sunday you're going to sleep the whole day mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't want to i don't want to short these uh, actors on the scenes that we have picked so let's start right out with some excerpts from Tom Stoppard's Arcadia, a play in two acts. There is one break. It's three hours long, folks, but I definitely recommend it. I may try to get there uh, Friday night. It's my 70th birthday. Congratulations. <laughs> what, a, what a plan. What a plan to see Arcadia on my 70th birthday. Get my son to take me. Now, we're going to start on page one to four, so we don't have to do too much introduction, but you might want to introduce the scene a little bit. It's at the very beginning of the play. This is the first scene of the whole play, and, um, well, the best thing is to just start it. Yes. <laughs> go. Here we go. The setting is, this is 1809, folks. This is the, you know, we, uh, we have two historical settings 1809 and what tom stoppard calls the present which is actually 10 years ago now <laughs> but you know the, those two historical periods kind of fold into each other by the end of the play but we have a 13 year old with a 22 year old tutor and uh yes thomasina and septimus and there they are at their books, and they also have a tortoise, which is sleepy enough to serve as a paperweight. I love this <laughs> tortoise, anyway. And there are all kinds of things, you know, to set up the, the scene for 1809. And they're in a large country house in Derbyshire in 1809. Septimus, what is carnal embrace? Carnal embrace... Is the practice of throwing one's arms around a side of beef. Is that all? No, a shoulder of mutton, a haunch of venison well hugged, an embrace of grouse, caro, carnis, feminine, flesh. Is it a sin? Not necessarily, my lady. But when carnal embrace is sinful, it is a sin of the flesh, QED. We had caro in our Gallic wars. The Britons live on milk and meat, carne at lacte vivunt. I am sorry the seed fell on stony ground. That was the sin of Onan, wasn't it, Septimus? Yes, he was giving his brother's wife a Latin lesson, and she was hardly the wiser after it than before. I thought you were finding a proof for Fermat's last theorem. (laughs) It's very difficult, Septimus. You'll have to show me how. If I knew how, there would be no need to ask you. 
Fermat's last theorem has kept people busy for 150 years, and I hoped it would keep you busy long enough for me to read Mr. Chater's poem in praise of love with only the distraction of its own absurdities. Are Mr. Chater's written a poem? He believes he has written a poem, yes. I can see that there may be more carnality in your algebra than in Mr. Chater's couch of eros. Oh, it was not my algebra. I heard Jellyby telling Cook that Mrs. Chater was discovered in carnal embrace in the gazebo. Really? With whom did Jellyby happen to say? What do you mean, with whom? With what? Exactly so. The idea is absurd. Where did the story come from? Mr. Noakes. Mr. Noakes? Papa's landscape gardener. He was taking bearings in the garden when he saw, through his spyglass, Mrs. Chater in the gazebo in carnal embrace. And do you mean to tell me that Mr. Noakes told the butler? No. Mr. Noakes told Mr. Chel Mr. Chater. Jellyby was told by the groom who overheard Mr. Noakes telling Mr. Chater in the stable yard. Mr. Chater being engaged in closing the stable door. What do you mean, Septimus? So, thus far, the only people who know about this are Mr. Noakes, the landscape gardener, the groom, the butler, the cook, and, of course, Mrs. Chater's husband, the poet. And Arthur, who was cleaning the silver, and the boot boy, and now you. Of course. What else did he say? Mr. Noakes? No, not Mr. Noakes. Jellyby. You heard Jellyby telling the cook. Cook hushed him, hushed him almost as soon as he started. Jellyby did not see that I was being allowed to, fi to finish yesterday's upstairs rabbit pie before I came down to my lesson. I think you have not been candid with me, Septimus. A gazebo is, a gazebo is not, after all, a meat larder. I never said my definition was complete. Is Colonel Embrace kissing? Yes. And throwing one's arms about Mr. Chater? Yes. Now, Fermat's last theorem... I thought as much. I hope you are ashamed. I, my lady? If you do not teach me the true meanings of things, who will? Ah, uh, yes, I am ashamed. Carnal embrace is sexual congress, which is the insertion of the male genital organ into the female genital organ for the purpose of procreation and pleasure. Fermat's last theorem, by contrast, asserts that when x, y, and z are whole numbers each raised to the power of n, the sum of the first two can never equal the third when n is greater than two. Ugh. Nevertheless, that is the theorem. It is disgusting and incomprehensible. Now, when I'm grown to practice it myself, I shall never do so without thinking of you. Thank you very much, my lady. Was Mrs. Chater down this morning? No. Tell me more about sexual congress. There is nothing more to be said about sexual congress. Is it the same as love? Oh, no. It is much nicer than that. <laughs> it's like Woody Allen, right? You know. <laughs> is it love increases tension, sex, <laughs> sex alleviates it? <laughs> I don't know why. This morning, I, I was looking at this play again. I was thinking of... Woody Allen's Stardust Memories, yes, Ozymandias Melancholia. <laughs> About 10 or 15 years ago, yeah, I, I remember that was my, my favorite phrase for what was the matter with this, Ozymandias Melancholia. No, I, I think um, uh, this is an amazing play. When I was uh, your age, 
the term onism and sexual congress would have been new to me because we weren't that esoteric. We knew some four-letter words, <laughs> but the, the more scholarly, esoteric words, um, I think my mother told me to use the term self-abuse rather than masturbation. <laughs> she liked that. She thought that was funny. Anyway, no, no, no. It's this good, what is it? Oh, and natural child that was uh, you know i remember calling my brother the b word once and she said no dear that means uh, something improper so just when you're referring to a, a child who uh, doesn't have a legal father you you just say a natural child <laughs> I, I i don't know um like the other day somebody was talking about gertrude stein's language and um was it alice Toklas and she would use the word Seduce. She would never have used the word rape. It's, it's confusing. I, I, I love I love the language here because, of course, you know, somebody calls somebody darling, and then they answer, "Don't call me darling," and then they say, "Okay, dickhead." It's you know, uh -huh. it's, it's what is this this wonderful, shocking combination of uh, time and time and place and gosh let's do the next scene before i start talking it's on page 8384 you got that one guys mm -hmm. okay now we've got we've got the seductress we've got lady chrome well we don't start with lady chrome. don't start with lady chrome. <laughs> but lady chrome is entering the scene now so we have thomasina and lady chrome that's jen and Judy. And Mark. Septimus is there, too. And Septimus. Go. Well, just as I said, Newton's machine, which would knock our atoms from cradle to grave by the laws of motion, is incomplete. Determinism leaves the road at every corner, as I knew all along. And the cause is very likely hidden in this gentleman's observation. Of what? The action of bodies in heat. Is this geometry? This? No. I despise geometry. Hmm. The traitor would overthrow the Newtonian system in a weekend. <laughs> geometry, Hobbes assures us in the Leviathan, is the only science God has been pleased to bestow on mankind. And what does he mean by it? M Mr. Hobbes or God? <laughs> I am sure I do not know what either means by it. Oh, poo to Hobbes. Mountains are not pyramids and trees are not cones. God must love gunnery and architecture if Euclid is his only geometry. There's another geometry which I am engaged in discovering by trial and error. Am I not, Septimus? Trial and error perfectly describes your enthusiasm, my lady. How old are you today? Sixteen years and eleven months, Mama, and three weeks. Sixteen years and eleven months. We must have you married before you are educated beyond eligibility. <laughs> I'm going to marry Lord Byron. Are you? He did not have the manners to mention it. That's all we'll do from that one. <laughs> <laughs> Educated beyond eligibility. That's so beautiful. That actually, that held up until the 1950s, I remember. Two or three of my friends quitting, uh, uh, even before they got their BAs. They said two years of college was enough because they didn't want to compete with their possible husband. I was in a woman's college, and they split to go to, um, oh, any place like, uh, so they could just be co-eds and meet a lot of men, you know, but they didn't want even to get a BA degree because that would take them out of the marketplace. And apparently that still holds up. Uh-huh. Interesting world we live in, educated beyond eligibility.
ability. Okay, guys, uh, let's jump, Mr. Hobbs or God. Do you want to tell us uh, just a, a little bit about uh, the use of Lord Byron in this play? I think it's a hoot. <laughs> Marcus, you want to tell? Well, Lord Byron is a friend of uh, Septimus's. Uh, they went to school together, and um, I think Sophie's actually done some research about him. Well, uh-huh. Lord Byron was this incredible poet, and he wrote poetry about science and philosophy and about life. And this ties into all the themes in the play. And he's a mysterious figure. He never actually appears on the stage. But somehow all these characters through the different time periods are connected through him. There's something about Lord Byron that he lives in almost every playwright I've ever known. There's a play, if you get a chance, you may have read it, by Tennessee Williams called Camino Real or Camino Real, depending on the way. <laughs> and Byron Byron appears in the middle of the play. Oh, everybody's in it. Camille is in it. Uh, the Lady of the Camilles. Everybody, all these historical and poetic figures appear. But I think... If I remember correctly, that was the last time I broke down in a flood of tears in a theater. It was Byron going into what he called terra incognito. And it was either the actor or Tennessee Williams. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's hard to know why. As a rule, that doesn't quite... Um, it's, it's hard to say what happens on a stage. But uh, once in a while, something happens that is so profound. It's never happened to me in a movie you know, just doesn't happen there. But something the actor did or said was so heart-wrenching. Um, I'm going to go back and look at that again. But, I, you know, Lord Byron's a wonderful character to make fun of, too. Yes. You know, because the Brontes are always using him. But he's, what, the original demon lover? Yes, he had lots of affairs, which also applies into the, yes. the play. Love affair with his sister and all that nonsense. Yes. The lame brat. Anyway, <laughs> no, we've got we've got a few Lord Byrons around now. You know, I, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> you know, in every generation, you got at least three Lord Byrons and at least two Emily Brontes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Emily Dickinson's we've got up the wazoo. You know, I know seven, but uh, you know, the population has increased proportionally speaking. Okay. But, now, I think what we should do so that we don't run over our time, which always seems to happen, is get to our last scene. And then we'll take time to talk about. Always it seems we spend more time talking about things than actually reading them. Let's get to page 35, which is... Who is cast in this scene? This is another one between Septimus and Thomasina. It's um, in the middle of a Latin lesson. (laughs) The butler is also here at this point, but um, his lines aren't necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh well, you just skip. We'll skip over the yeah. butler, or if it need be, I'll read it. But I don't think so. It yeah, doesn't alter it the action. Be. No, no. <laughs> Why have you stopped? Solio in Cessia, in igne, seated on a throne in the fire, and also on a ship. Set about Regina, sat the queen. There is no reply, Jellyby. Thank you. The wind smelling sweetly, Propius Velis. Buy with her from purple sails? Jellyby, I will have something for the post, if you will be so kind. Mm, yes, sir. Was like as to something, buy with her from lovers. Oh, Septimus, musica tibiarum impirbat, music of pipes commanded. Ruled is better. The silver oars exciting the ocean as if 
as if amorous. That is very good. Regina Reclinabat, the queen, was reclining praetor descriptionem indescribably in a golden tent, like Venus and yet more... Try to put some poetry into it. How can I if there's none in the Latin? Oh, a critic. Is it <laughs> Queen Dido? No. Who's the poet? Known to you. Known to me. Not a Roman. Mr. Chater? Your translation is quite like Chater. I know who it is. It's your friend Byron. Lord Byron, if you please. Mama's in love with Lord Byron. Yes. Nonsense. It is not nonsense. I saw them together in the gazebo. Lord Byron was reading from his satire, and Mama was laughing with her head in its best position. She did not understand the satire and was showing politeness to a guest. She is vexed with Papa for his determination to alter the park, but that alone cannot account for her politeness to a guest. She came downstairs hours before her custom. Lord Byron was amusing at breakfast. He paid a tribute to you. Did he? He said you were a witty fellow, and he had almost by heart an article you wrote about, well, I forget what, but it concerned a book called The Maid of Turkey and how you would not give it to your dog for dinner. Uh, Mr. Chater was at breakfast, of course. He was, not like certain lazy bones. He does not have Latin to set and mathematics to correct. Correct? What is incorrect in it? Alpha minus poo, what is the minus for? For doing more than was asked. You did not like my discovery? A fancy is not a discovery. A jibe is not a rebuttal. You are churlish with me because Mama is paying attention to your friend. Well, let them elope. They cannot turn back the advancement of knowledge. I think it is an excellent discovery. Each week I plot your equations dot for dot, x's against y's, in all manners of algebraic relation. And each week they draw themselves this commonplace geometry, as if the world of forms were nothing but arcs and angles. God's true, Septimus, if there is an equation for a curve like a bell, there must be an equation for a curve like a bluebell. And if a bluebell, why not a rose? Do we believe nature is written in numbers? And you'll have to come to the play to find out. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, yes. I was thinking here, there's a movie called Mind Walk, um, Nature Written in Numbers. And it's a funny movie. Most people didn't like it. It's a, it's a dialogue. or um, Actually, there are three people in it, not uh, two, not a dialogue, a trialogue. Uh, there's a poet, a physicist, and a politician Liv Ullman plays the physicist, and she tries to explain that Descartes and some of the boys turned the world into a machine, you know, and the politician tries to explain his point of view, and then John Hurd plays the poet, and they just wander around um, Mount St. Hel... Oh, no, 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 where is it? Um, the place where the water rises at... Uh, oh, I've forgotten. It's someplace in France. It's like an old castle. They just wander around talking about... Um, this sort of thing, this bell curve here and the curve of the blue bell, and she tries to explain to them uh, the, let's call it the poetry in nature or the, the poetry of physics. And I, I'm still trying to follow it. I've got the video, you know, and I, I listen to it over and over again to get it straight. The poet and the politician, I get that part pretty quick, but it's a little harder when you get to the quarks and such things, but there is some incredible poetry in that. And in that particular film, 
she says that her ideas were used for uh, wrong purposes, and so she's quit. She's on permanent sabbatical because um, the U.S. took her uh, her research and turned it into, um, uh, well, part of the culture of death, let's just put it that way, on the broad scale. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, whether or not we think in terms of number or whether or not we think in terms of process, what is that? What are some of the new words? Uh, I, I try to use systemic theory. Does that mean anything to anybody? I've heard that a dozen times. You know, it's like all the systems together or, mm-hmm. or synchronicity. There's a whole bunch of phrases. I guess they all mean sort of holistic. Then you get, I get nervous because I don't want it to sound too new agey, you know. But the whole, the whole notion that there is more to science. I can't believe I did it. I did it again, folks. Uh, the play is Arcadia by Tom Stoppard, and I have the actors and the director right here with me. And you've got a race to get to the show. It's this weekend, Friday and Saturday night, at the Oakland Box Theater. Call Maybeck High School, folks. Call Maybeck. It's 7 o'clock Friday night, Saturday night, 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Um, Tom Stoppard's... Best play to date, it says here. Uh, the Box Theater is at 1928 Telegraph Avenue, and you can give a call at 841-8489-510 is our area code. This has been Jennifer Stone till Thursday morning at 820. Go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. And you're tuned to KPFA or KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, where the time is 3.59. Jennifer Stone returns to Cover to Cover next week at this time. Join us tomorrow when we're back as well. Jack Foley will be hosting. And up next, it's Hard Knock Radio after these announcements. In recognition of December 1st, World AIDS Day, Priority Africa Network is sponsoring a rally for Africa's right to health at the Oakland Federal